Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillah. Vessalatu vesselamu ala Resulillah ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve men vela. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Safina Society. Nothing but facts live stream. As we are entering into Giving Tuesday and the month of December, which is always a fun month for us because uh, it's the month that we've chosen to assess ourselves, how we did, how we're doing, and what our future plans look like, inshallah ta'ala, and our future plans are really big. And this past year, I would say we had what I would probably term an amazing year. One of those years that you just, we came out of COVID, and it was just like grinding, 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 trying to create something, trying to do something, and then all of a sudden, it seems like so many people had so much energy All right, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. We're back on, and this is the name of our brand. Now, this is the name of our soup kitchen, and we're now on Instagram at La Cocina Three Sixty Seven. And the reason we call it Three Sixty Seven because that's our address. Our address is uh, uh, Three Sixty Seven Somerset Street, so you can't forget it. So, if you want to check us out on Instagram, and we have a great team that puts all this stuff together, and 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 runs these meals and the dinners and and this year our goal last year i said it last year like a million times our goal was to offer one meal a week that's it nothing more and nothing less one meal a week 
on top of that, we started off really slow to the point that people, one guy even asked me, what's going on? I said, on our first meal, we literally had to convince people to come. They didn't know what was going on. The place looked really shady. The place uh, looked um, pretty scary almost uh, because it was like a rundown place. We had a little lamp out and we were telling people to come and, 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 and come inside and they didn't want to come inside. So we had to convince them to come inside by walking around. Uh, we were just like walking around, giving people cards and telling them to come inside. And Lord, on the first day, people wouldn't come inside. Only nine people came in. We actually had to take the food and we were like walking to people, and just give them food. Well, it was also winter. Remember, we started in January. Then next week was also tough. Then finally, on the fourth week, we topped 20 people. And that was a big deal to me. I was keeping track. Fifth week, sixth week, seventh week. As soon as the weather got a little bit uh, warm, all of a sudden, we were having lines out the door. And as soon as we also added the element of clothing, I'm telling you, sometimes you got to follow your gut instinct. People were telling me, don't do clothes, don't do clothes. Why wouldn't you do clothes, right? And we ended up doing clothes. Clothes was like the biggest hit. We actually had to put limits. People were walking out like with all the clothes. We actually have a limit, five items per person. And, that, and that's what we give out. People can take five out Now... Then we got a sister came in and said, you're all doing it wrong. I mean, what do we know? We're just putting the clothes out. But she had like a sense and she bought hangers and like a rack. And now it's going to look almost look like a store. But everything's free, right? Shoes, there's an area for shoes. There's an area for jackets. There's an area for men's clothes. We have like suits. So people come in and they take, they can take five items, and there are toys, there are home appliances now. Anyone want a bottle warmer? This is like one of the best inventions. People don't even know what it is. I know these things. Uh, a bottle warmer, it's one of those gifts that somebody, you know, people get when you have a kid. It's basically, you put, it's, it's, it's a little rectangle. You put some water in there, you plug it in. The water warms up. And then there is like um, a grid inside of it, a basket. You put the bottle in there. So the bottle sort of submerged in water that heats up to a reasonable temperature. You put that there. And when you're waking up, when your baby's asleep, you don't have to, you just reach for the bottle warmer. The bottle, it's already warm. There's no such thing as walk. Not everyone breastfeeds. People are sick, right? Some people don't have, they can't breastfeed. So, um, you know, because that's a group. The breastfeeders, like that's the natural way of life, right? But they're sometimes oblivious to the fact that some people are sick and there's medicine in their body and they can't breastfeed, right? So the, the breastfeeders, by the way, this group is on the verge of being as bad as the vegans, all right? If you don't breastfeed your kids, they're going to go, oh, are you a fool? Some people are sick. So uh, you reach in and the bottle's nice and warm. Boom, stuff it in the baby's mouth. Okay, go back to sleep. Such an important invention and a simple thing. And we got one down to it. So these little things, diapers. Smile did a report, and they said that the biggest source of depression and anxiety in the house is something that people, they couldn't even identify themselves. The house stinks. 
The baby's crying because he always has a rash. Why? Because diapers are expensive. There's another group, they say, no, no, don't use diapers because it's for the environment, blah, blah, blah. Let's use a nice linen rash for your nice little prince baby's butt doesn't get used for a diaper, okay? Do you know how expensive that is? And do you also know, like, that not a lot of people have the time, like the ancient times, the olden days, to take a beautiful cotton linen diaper that the, your nappy that he's wearing, well, lie, I hate these elite people, and then wash it and have, like, 20... You think people have time for that stuff, right? So they use a diaper and then they use this diaper and uh, they're expensive. And because they're expensive, they have to end up rationing them out. So they only use diapers, for example, like twice a day. Well, that means the baby gets a rash. That means the house smells like urine, right? It's terrible. Their houses stink. That's why they're depressed. And the husband doesn't want to come home, right? That's the problem. So we want to solve these problems for people and help people with this. Uh, we have a set of pictures. Every week we're going to put, every day we're going to put out a different picture. One of my favorite pictures, the, the proof of like victory, is there's a lion out the door. One of those, pic, like recently, like last month or something, literally, at 5.30, a line starts to form. Doors open at 6 o'clock, right? It, that's the, it's, a, it's so important that it starts at 6 o'clock exactly, right? Everyone knows it starts at 6 o'clock. Just like this live stream starts at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time every day, and you all know it's going to start right on time, right? So likewise, the, live, the, the soup kitchen starts exactly at 6 o'clock. So they line up because they just came from work. They line up. And, and people come in, they, there's, they go in a circle like this, a, a you. They come in, they take their meal. If they want to hang out, they hang out. If they want to shop for clothes, they shop for clothes, right? Guess what else we're offering? Next, our goal for next week, because what you're going to do is you're going to help pitch in with this at launchgood.com backslash Safina, okay? Because Dawah requires wealth. It requires money. That's why every, what does the Quran say? Nothing is better than a group of people that advise people to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and they advise to sadaqah. So you notice every day we talk about money. Well, it's important. Money is extremely important. And this money is going to double our efforts. Two meals a week. Wednesday, it was a no-brainer we're going to do that because we don't have classes at MBIC on Wednesday. We don't have classes on Monday. Monday and Wednesdays are the days off at MBIC. So it's going to be Monday. So Monday and Wednesday now, starting when the weather gets a bit warmer, in the soup kitchen, downstairs in La Cocina, is going to be Monday and Wednesday, inshallah ta'ala. We're going to have meals. So imagine 120 people a week. That means our community, no offense, I see stomachs. I know you're eating food. So that means every week now we are going to put pressure now on our community to cook the food. And also you as community members, online community members, you can be part of this, right? By sponsoring a meal. You could say, hey, listen up. You want to sponsor a meal? 25 bucks. Go to Launch Good and put 25 bucks. If you can, if there's a note, put a meal, Okay. Do you think people, you can get somebody to run these things? 
uh, as a volunteer, not all the time. It's got to be someone who is a part-time employee. And they come in at 5 o'clock. Every Monday, they're going to come in at 5 o'clock. They're going to mop the place up. Like, I come in here every Wednesday, and Ryan's already got the place polished, right? That's part of the job. You polish the place first. You set up the tables. Um, we Last week, we became a refuge for bees. They're, the bees die at this time of year, yeah. right? And we became, and I didn't know what, what was going on. It was the weirdest thing. It was like a bee genocide. The kitchen has a window over the sink, and there's like a, a big window there. And they found a little hole, and they all came in. They stayed for five minutes and died. So the exterminator came in and said, oh, bees die at this time of year, right? They all die. So they're coming in to live their last few lives, okay? Uh, and, 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 they, and they were all dying. So that needs cleaning up, calling an exterminator. So there's a lot of work behind the scenes, all right? So Monday and is the new day that we're going to be uh, adding, inshallah, to the soup kitchen, and that's going to take staff, all right, and personnel. So, right, let's put up the Instagram uh, poster. You can keep, keep tabs with us on Instagram. That's going to be our new home for communicating with you all. We're going to be communicating with you all on Instagram. And so it's La Cocina 367 because 367 is the, um, 367 is the, whatchamacallit, the, the physical address. When you come here, it's going to be 367 Somerset Street. We also have a guest house here. If you want to hang out and you want to stay uh, for a while, we'll take care of you Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And Sunday, those are the days that we host people. So three nights, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, uh, and, and four days, Thursday through Sunday. So launch good. This is our campaign. We want to, again, we're going to shoot for first for 25K this week, then next week, uh, and the week after, we have different things to show you all. But that's really what we're all about. And let's now go to the full screen and turn over now to our... Our content portion and our, our class, okay? And Sophia says, I'm not on Instagram. Don't make me go. That's okay. You don't have to actually, I don't think you have to be on Instagram technically. You can actually type in Instagram.com forward slash for all the people who know about the grammar police, uh, that it's not backslash, it's forward slash. In La Cocina 367. And you should be able to see everything that we do there and 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 and. Um, where I could punch in the link on YouTube. So, Amr bi-sadaqa, commanding to sadaqa is extremely important. This dawah will not run. You know how much money goes into the Israel lobby, to the LGBT lobby, to the Catholic Church? Do you know how much money is behind all this? Right? We're competing with these people. That's our competition. The Catholic Church has so many soup kitchens. In every town, there's a St. This and a St. That soup kitchen. It's like a guarantee. It's like something you don't even have to think about. You want to, uh, uh, to eat? The Catholics got you. You're poor? You need a diaper? You need something? The Catholics got you. Well, guess what? We're competing. Um, and I believe, honestly, I believe every local masjid, every masjid that has any capacity to do anything good, should either sponsor a soup kitchen in a city or have their own soup kitchen 
Or like the community will put it together and the masjid will be the base. MBIC is our base, right? That's where uh, we all pray. That's where we run our classes. This is the masjid that everything started from. If they hadn't housed us and given me the opportunity, there would be none of this. None of this would have existed, right? Thanks to the open-minded people who, who just gave me a chance. All we wanted is a chance, right? And, and they were not control freaks about it either. They're like, all right, do it. As long as we're the beneficiaries and you're doing it out of here, we're benefiting, right? And this is our, that's our masjid. So may I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to, to have good relations and, uh, and, and to continue the life of the masjid. Now let's move. Okay. Let's move on to Shama'il. It's Tuesday, which means Shama'il al-Tirmidhi. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillahi wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Babu ma jaa fi hijama hijamata rasulillah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sahbihi wa sallama. What is hijama? First of all, there's a sister. Her name is Aisha Davies. She's out of the UK, I believe. She's a hijama expert. And they're, and my mom is a hijama expert too. It's not so hard if you have any medical background. You don't even need a medical background. Rye, we need to get, oh, you don't like blood, Rye? Oh, you don't like people's backs. You're going to learn? All right, shut your eyes. When you're... Yeah, yeah, that's, he doesn't want to touch people's backs, which is sometimes it can get weird. And you may never look at that person again the same. <laughs> it's not the same. Yeah, Don't do hijama to someone that you want to hold in high esteem. Because in case that you get too close to their body and it's not, it's not going to be good. Let's go now to how the Prophet ﷺ did hijama. Su'ila anasu. Again, this is al-fa'il al-mabni lil-majhul. Su'ila was asked. The questioner is not important. It's the one who receives the question that's important. And we call that na'ib fa'il and he's marfu'ah. The marfu'ah in the Arabic grammar is the position of centrality in, the sen- in, in your image. Because language is supposed to put an image in your head, right? You're, when, when someone tells you a story, you're creating an image, in, a reel in your head. So who's the main character of this reel? Anas. So we make him marfu'ah. So su'ila anas ibn malikin. When you read Ibn, you have to move with it. You can't say Anasu Ibn Malik. No, you say Anasu Ibn Malik. Very important. The sign of educated for not educated. Anasu Ibn Malik. An kasbil hijam al hajjam. The earnings of the hijama person who does hijama for you. The hajjam. Faqala, ihtajama Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallama. Hajamahu Abu Taiba, a man by the name of Abu Taiba. So there you go. If you open a hijama company, right? We call it Abu Taiba's hijama company, right? So the Prophet ﷺ commanded that he be given. He said, "Go get him two saws." So that's eight muds. What's a mud? A mud is like a very big cup, essentially. So eight big muds of food. So you could say 
like two days worth of eating almost and so they also gave him some extra and let's see how we translate this part here uh, he says here that he was given two saws of food and a stipulated a certain amount of money um, that he was responsible for and the prophet helped pay some of his debt essentially so what is and the prophet also said you have to take out the trash right you got to get the bad blood out of your system it's that simple you take a warm cup you put it on the person's back by the way they do this in indonesia all the time and and you put this on the person's back it's it attracts what does it attract it attracts the 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 bad blood how do we how does it attract the bad blood i don't know ask a doctor but that's what's attracted then they lift the suction cup and then they make a couple spikes okay a couple slits and it comes out so aisha davies you want to get her who uh in england i believe she is and who is it that just said that they're also uh, Sayyid Muhammad Daniel Hassanain? Where are you, Pakistan? He's a hijama therapist too. I'm telling you, you feel much lighter in the sense in your head. You feel like the blood's flowing better in your body. I need to do a hijama soon because I, I, I felt it was beneficial to me. I felt like okay, it, it, the, 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 the heaviness and the grogginess was gone. That's a result. That's a good result. I want that result. Okay. And the Prophet said, the best medicine for you to do is hijama. And the best medicine is the preventative stuff. Drinking a lot of water, sleeping well. I would say avoiding sugary foods. Sugar is not good for you. And then, and that's like a big craze now. But you you do see the results of people who don't, who, who go without sugar and anytime that you do one of these diets there has to be a time where there has to be a time where you 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 break your diet so you have to pick certain days of the year because psychologically what you can't have becomes more and more like a big deal so you need to indulge in it a, a couple times muhammad hassanain could you please put your your link at the bottom here if you have a website because he teaches it online and one of his students is in New York City. Could you put his contact here for us, please? Because we, we would like to establish this sunnah. It's something that is a sunnah. It's something we would never really care much for unless the messenger Sayyidul Qunayn had done it. And that's why we care for it. Let's be honest here, right? If hijama was something that the vegans came up with, we'd just be against it, right? Just for the sake of it. But it's something the Prophet brought, so we're for it. So in a sense, there's a ta'abudi aspect to it, which means that I would have nothing to do with this if not for Sayyidul Qunayn, alayhi salatu wasalam. And now that Sayyidul Qunayn said it's good, now I'm convinced that it's good, right? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, if my mind doesn't see that it's good, I'm going to tell myself your mind is wrong. Because what's our epistemology? Sayyidul Qunayn, alayhi salatu wasalam, la yantiqu al-hawa. That's our epistemology. So if he says it's the best medicine, then it's the best medicine. If you don't see the result of that, your observation is lower on the totem pole 
of epistemology than Seder Konein, right? Right or wrong? Seder Konein means the chief of this life and the next, or the chief of our, uh, of, of the ins and the jinn. So what we're going to do is we're going to always remember that. That's why these things to me are very important. Because some people, they dismiss them. They say, oh, no, no, that's like, wait a second. You're, you're got your epistemology all wrong. Say, Kanan knows better than you. If he said it's the best medicine, it's the best medicine. Okay? So we're, we have some comments about the sugar-free. I'll tell you what to do. If, if you're sugar-free, you get, uh, uh, what is it called? What do I always talk about? Monk fruit. Yeah. What is it called? Oh, get me that. I need that. I need that. Sugar-free chocolate. Uh, monk fruit is a, is a sweetener that I would say it's 80% of how good sugar tastes. Okay? But 80% for how good sugar tastes for no calories is a miracle. You could live a normal life and not have the sugar... If you don't have, if you cut out sugar, you might say to yourself, it's 50 calories for like two spoons of sugar. Big deal. But it adds up. That's a big deal. It adds up. And who has time to exercise so much? Nobody. So monk fruit really is, it's something that you will take a small sliver every month and you won't be so weighty. So what is it called? Chalkzero.com. What a great business. I need this. Let's look at the prices. Ryan has pulled up Chalk Zero Honey. Uh, 50 cents? 50 bucks for 100 pieces. That's half a 50 cents for a piece of chocolate? Chalk Zero bank account zero eventually, right? I'm looking at the, uh, the ads here or for the website, ChalkZero.com. $8 for new, fake Nutella. Eh, okay, fair enough. $9 for a little bear of honey. Uh, $0.50 cents for a piece of chocolate. We'll wait, we'll wait till the competition spawns and the price goes down. That's how you do it, right? You just wait and you spread it. Tell all your friends about it, but don't buy it yet, right? And then wait until the, it spreads and the competition develops and then the price will slowly go down. That's how it works. It t- it'll take a while, but Chalk Zero is a place to have chocolate with uh, without without any uh, no, sugar. no sugar, but also you end up with no money. So <laughs> okay, so so that's the thing. If you want your you, if you you have to have your chai, you have to have your stuff. You use monk fruit, which is also a bit expensive, but I say my monk fruit is in replacement of a gym membership. How many of you have a gym membership? You've never shown up to the gym. Okay. Farhan Munshi is saying you can actually make chocolate at home without any sugar. Okay, really? I didn't know how to do that. But hey, Ennis, uh, our guy Ennis. Okay. Um, our guy Ennis. Ennis Munshi. This would be a better business than his Cinnabon business. Hey, Ennis, are you listening? Ennis from MBIC, okay? Are you listening? This will be a way better business, okay? Chalkzero.com is your competition. Make us sugar-free chocolate. 
It's better business than Cinnabon because you're going to have all the healthy people. And the healthy people tend to also have some money, by the way. And they could spend money. Next subject. عن علي سيدنا علي بن أبي طالب أن النبي صلى الله عليه وآله وسلم احتجم وأمرني فأعطيت الحجام أجره. So he did hijama and then he told me to go pay the. What's the ruling on taking money for stuff? Well, it's very simple. It's really very simple. If you don't have to do something, you could take money for it. Okay, that's the simple rule. Uh, anything that's the, that's the ultimate end up if you're not obligated to do something so for example uh, am I obligated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to um, to give you to, 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 to teach you salah yes I am if you ask me so I can't take money for it hey I just became a Muslim teach me how to pray I have to teach you I can't charge you for that Okay, thank you for teaching me how to pray. Now I need you to teach me um, the science of hadith. Oh, wait a minute, I don't have to do that. That's not fudge for me. I don't have to do that. So that is a situation where that, that class. I need you to teach me tajweed. I need you to teach me hifs of what? Surah Al-Fatiha? That's fudge. I have to do that for free. No, teach. I need you to teach me uh, to memorize Surah Al-Baqarah. Surah Al-Baqarah is one of the best surahs you can memorize. It's very easy to memorize, by the way, because it's thematic. Surah Al-Baqarah, it's an easy surah to memorize because it's just simple themes, blocky blocks. Do I have to teach you that? No, I'm not obligated. I can charge you for that. That's how. That's a simple rule. So here, that um, that's a simple rule. Even, let's say, Tarawih, for example. Imam leading Tarawih. Does he have to do that? He can pray tarawih at home. But he's going to physically move his body to your masjid and lead you. And he's going to recite the way you want to recite. For example, the masjid will tell him eight rakahs, 20 rakahs, half a juz, a full juz. The masjid will determine that. He doesn't have to do any of this. But he's going to do it, right? He could pray tarawih at home. He could not pray tarawih at all. He's not obligated. So he can charge you to be the imam. Okay, for your tarawih. Uh, Malik also and the ulama, they hesitated a little bit for the Imam Ratib, but in the end of the day, they also said the Imam Ratib. Same thing with him. He doesn't have to come to your mosque and, 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 and lead the prayers. He can pray at home. He could pray as a musalli, as a muqtadi. So they even permitted that. The Imam Ratib could take a salary for that. Things like that. Where all of the hadiths, you can find this in Qurtubi's Tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah, all of the ahadith that criticize or curse or blame somebody who takes a salary, none of them are valid enough to make rulings upon. None of them. Yeah, Qurtubi lists them all. None of them. And when he explains them, he explains them as that if someone intended it for the sake of Allah only, then changes his mind and said, no, I'm going to take, that's where possibly he could be in the wrong. Right? That's the only case. But none of those hadiths, because some people, they say there's no such thing as qat'i and dhanni. This is such jahala, it's unbelievable. 
Qat'i means explicit, no discussion about it. It's a, it's a fact. The language is clear. The transmission is crystal clear. There are no questions surrounding the narration. It doesn't seem to conflict with another narration. That's qat'i. Explicit. Then there's interpretive t- hadiths and ayahs. A hadith or an ayah that we can interpret in many ways. The language is open for interpretation in different ways. Or the circumstance is either the circumstance is open or the circumstance is unclear. And hence, it can be interpreted in different ways. That's called dhanni. The dhanni narrations are either muqayyad, they're either muqayyad, or like limited conditions, they're conditional. Because if there, there's a, it's seeming like it's contradicting another text, the scholars make it work by putting conditions. What's an example? The Prophet ﷺ, he commanded about the thobe never being past the ankle. That's a hadith. Then Abu Bakr later on said, O Messenger of Allah, my thobe always falls down, my izar always falls down to my ankles because I'm thin. The Prophet ﷺ said, it doesn't apply to you because you don't do it out of kibr. So what then do we do with the hadith? The Prophet ﷺ said, everything past the ankle, his ankles are in the fire. If his izar is past the ankle. But then he permitted Abu Bakr to do it, to leave it, because he was thin. So we say about that, we fit it in. We say that only if you're doing it out of anger, uh, uh, sorry, arrogance, that it's, it's haram sinful so that's an example so the dhanni could also have an ijma' upon it there could be a dhanni text where which it could mean many different things but the scholars unanimously agree that the sahaba understood it like this the next generation understood it like that so therefore it's 100 it it is what it says it is and there's ijma' upon it and if you part with an ijma' on a dhanni verse then that's called bid'ah khafifa you're an innovator on that issue, but it doesn't remove you from Ahl-Sunnah. Let's take, for example, a third possibility. It could be, there could be so many questions surrounding it, and the Sahaba didn't act upon it, okay? Or we have narrations that are big Sahaba who are muftis of the Sahaba. There are some scholars of the Sahaba who are the muftis of the Sahaba. They, they acted opposite to it, or they said opposite to it. So there's too many questions, and we don't have much explanation so they say, dhanni hadith, that is muttarib. There's too many questions. Too many questions marks around this hadith. Therefore, even if the transmission is sahih, right? But then the metan, the text, leaves too much room for interpretation and they don't understand how it works with the sahaba doing the opposite or something or that the prophet has another hadith that seems opposite. So they call that it's muttarib. It is sahih in its transmission, but there's no ruling based upon it. The dhanni narrations is where the madhahib come into play. There's no madhahib and there's no fiqh when it comes to qat'iyat. Qat'i verse, qat'i, you don't need, there's no fiqh on that. It's as it is. We don't need to see what the scholars said about la ilaha illallah. It's, it's qat'i, right? So uh, the month of Ramadan being a fard to fast, it's qat'i. Okay? There's no fiqh needed for that. There's fiqh needed in the dhanni. And by the way, anybody who says that 
all the four imams said, This is not correct. Malik said, okay, he said, if you find the sunnah to be opposite of what I say, then go with the sunnah. He did not say the hadith. So this idea that if the hadith is sahih, it's fiqh, that's our sharia, that's not the case. You can have many sahih hadiths that are dhanni in its nature. In aqidah, the hadith of the slave girl wears Allah and she points up. That's dhanni. There, because there are so many narrations that contradict one another. Therefore, there's no ruling based upon that. And the only general ruling they take on that is that uh, it's the, the, Lord, the qibla is of my prayer is upwards. My qibla to dua is a sama, not a god on the earth, meaning one of these idols. So that's a concept and idea of qat'i versus dhanni. And it's extremely important if you are in knowledge, okay, if you are involved in knowledge, you need to know that there's qat'i and dhanni. And when any scholar that says, no, no, there's no qat'i and dhanni, if it's sahih, it's the ruling. Okay, that's your madhab. Make your own new madhab. It's not the madhab of Abu Hanifa. It's not the way of Imam Malik. When he, and, and by the way, these imams did not invent their madhab. They just represented and codified what they learned from the tabi'een. Malik's teacher, Ishaq ibn Rahaway. Oh, sorry, Rabi'atul uh, Ra'i. Uh, Malik would bring him a sahih hadith and the fatwa uh, uh, of what all the scholars in Medina do, right? And he said, what do I do with this? And Rabi'atul Ra'i taught him. He said, When we see all of the tabi'in and all of the sahaba in Medina, they're acting upon one thing, such as they don't wipe on the sock. They only wipe on the hoof. That then we that overrides the solitary narration that says at one point the prophet wiped over the sock. We don't know why didn't if that's the case. Why didn't any of the Sahaba act upon it? Because they have either they saw that maybe the prophet already had wudu and he was just making wudu upon wudu, or they they did not see him do it ever except like maybe one person saw him. If it was sunnah. The Prophet would have said it, done it many times, and all the Sahaba would have been done doing it, or some of them at least, but zero? So that's how we handle such narrations. Okay. Next hadith. This one is from Ibn Abbas. Now, look at this. First one is was from Anas. Next one, Ali. Next one, Ibn Abbas. This is hijama, right? So it's part of the religion, it's part of the sunnah. You've seen different Sahaba are narrating this now. That's what we're talking about. That's when something is of deen, that means the Prophet did it many, many times. Okay? If he wanted to make something of the deen, he did it many times in front of everybody. Okay? And to show you that it's a sunnah, he would then not do it one time or something like that. To make sure that everyone knows it's a sunnah, not a fart. So that's where... That's why Malik called this book Al-Muwatta, the trodden path, the, the aspect of deen that does not rely on one narration that has question marks around it or seeming contradictions. And of course, a hadith in which the Sahaba never acted upon it, that's a big, con- pro- that's a big issue, right? So that's why the ulama, the fuqaha, especially the Hanafis and the Malikis, did not make law upon such a situation. They want the guarantee 
strong evidence. So now we have a hadith from Ibn Abbas that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ihtajama ala al-akhda'ayn wa bayna al-katifayn wa a'ta al-hajjama ajra wa law kana haraman lam yu'tih the Prophet, peace be upon him, he did hijama between his shoulder blades. Okay. And both sides of his neck, both sides of the neck, and between the shoulder blades. And he paid the cupper. The, that's not the right word, because cupping is different from hijama. Cupping does not involve bleeding, but hijama involves bleeding. All right. Bloodletting. It's not, no, sorry, that's not even blood. No, so this is how it works. Wet cupping. So dry cupping is just the suction. Wet cupping is the suction and cutting. Bloodletting is even more primitive, and that's just cutting and releasing some blood. And believe it or not, that was a, a, a health treatment back in the day. And they tried to do that to treat headaches. Okay. So... He paid the, the, the hajjam, and he says here, if it was haram, he wouldn't have paid the hajjam. Okay? In the old days, they used to use, the doctors used to use uh, uh, leeches. They put a, they, they'd cup, they'd cut, and then they'd put a leech. Every doctor from the ancient times used to have a jar of leeches. And they did this, they used the leech when somebody got bitten by a snake or a spider that was poisonous. The solution was very simple. Put the leech there. Okay? Of course, the animal rights activists would say, well, now the leech is going to get poisoned. Okay, so let the kid die. Let the mom who has five kids die. Or the dad who has five kids, let him die and let the leech live. That's the world that you you guys would live in. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam made dua for a hajjam. Now, who's narrating this one? Ibn Umar. Four different sahaba narrating. Four different sahaba narrating about hijama so far. That's what we're talking about, that if something is sunnah established, many, many sahaba speak about it. That's why the Hanafi and the Madiki madhabs in particular, and, and I believe even to the degree, even the... Um, the uh, 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 the Shafis, the Ahad narration that has question marks around it, they they limit its use. Okay, they limit its use. So what did he say about this? He asked the um, what is your what is your charge? He asked the Hajjam, "What's your charge?" So again, proof that it was able to to charge for hijama. Okay. He inquired, what is your tax or the duty do you, that you have to pay daily? Okay. And he answered the Prophet ﷺ and he reduced his fee. Okay. That he has to, the man has expenses. So the Prophet reduced his expenses. That's another way of paying somebody. Okay. You did a service for the, for the leader of the people, the leader is going to decrease your charge. وَكَانَ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَآلِهِ وَسَلَّمْ يَحْتَجِمُ who, who translate this is now hadith from Anas ibn Malik. What did he do? 
يحتجم في الأخدعين والكاهل وكان يحتجم لسبعة عشرة وتسعة عشرة وإحدى وعشرين Okay, we're going to read this, and by the way, I have to check the USA and Iran scores. Can you check that, please? Because something inside of me is sort of rooting for Iran. Yeah, for some reason. I'm USA versus Iran. This is to go to the knockout rounds. I like sometimes, oh, it's one nothing in the first half. USA, unbelievable. Because all that Iran needs is a tie. I like sometimes to root for the underdog, right? And USA, with all the Western countries coming in here and, and being annoying with their, with their worldview... So, um, you know, uh, sometimes I have a, like to see those people get upset. When the World Cup happens, I have like f- 10 teams. Like all, all the Muslim countries first, right? Then maybe USA at the bottom. Um, the Bid'a countries, only if, the Bid'a country have an asterisk, only if they're going against someone who's worse, right? <laughs> That's it. Uh He says here that when would he do it? On the 17th, the 19th, or the 21st of the lunar months. Some people have this idea that when the full moon is out, the fluids in the earth rise to the top. And Allah knows best if that's the case. So they do things that neutralize that later on. Okay. Or or at that time. Such as fasting, hijama, things like that. Yeah. Now this hadith is from, also from Anas ibn Malik that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ahtajama huwa muhrim bimalalin ala dhahr al-qadam he, he did hijama while he was in ihram on the back of his leg he did hijama on the back of his leg and he was in the state of ihram The Hanafis hold it permissible. Others said, it's makruh. Why? It's makruh if hair would come off. Because we're not supposed to remove our hair during ihram. But if hair would not be removed, then it's okay. Okay. Bloodletting is called fast with a sad. Fa sadal. Bloodletting. Is to remove blood. It's just, this is without the cupping. So, fast is bloodletting. And people say it's, it's beneficial. Okay. The land of Hijaz is hot. So, cupping was more beneficial for them. Hot and cold temperatures have different effects on the temperaments. During the summertime in hot countries, heat comes out to the outer part of the body, and the effect of coolness remains in the inner parts of the body. For this reason, one perspires a great deal in the summer. Okay? Yet in the cold, uh, because of the inner coolness, foods take longer to digest, and many illnesses occur. Now, in the cold countries and in the winter, the heat of a person's body goes to the inside okay, of the body, and food digesting is faster. Okay? Vapor emits from the urine and disease decrease. According to the saying of Baqarat, in cold temperatures, the inner parts of the body become warmer. More sleep is experienced and food is easily digested. For this reason, rich foods digest easily in the winter and they take more time in the summer. This is also the reason that honey, dates, and other heat-creating foods 
do not affect the people of the Hejaz. In cupping, the blood on the outer part of the body is removed, and in Hejaz, the heat is more on the outer part of the body, therefore they need more cupping. Bloodletting is from the veins and on and the inner part of the body, therefore it would not be beneficial there. Okay. So the Prophet ﷺ did not use bloodletting, he used hijama instead. Okay. Everyone understand now? Let's take Q&A now. Time for Q&A. And let's hear what you all have to say. Is hijama means fashtu? No. Fast. I'm assuming fashtu you meant fast. Fast is just bloodletting. Hijama is cupping and then cutting the skin. Um, did did Muhammad Daniel put the name down of his website so people can get trained in hijama? Should we do a Safina side hijama course? Do you think people would sign up for that? Hijama course. Let's talk to Muhammad Daniel and do it. My student in the USA is a Muslim sister. Good. Male hijama course, female hijama course. Okay, so Muhammad Daniel, can you contact us, please? Because we're going to do it. If it's Sunnah of the Prophet, peace be upon him, we want to be involved. Okay, simple, simple equation. How do we teach children about major and minor sins? Well, you could say something like, if something is explicitly forbidden in the Quran, it's a major sin. If it is forbidden in general, uh, uh, in the Sunnah, then it's a minor sin. That's one way the scholars have divided up. By the way, there is no, there is, I repeat, there is no one single answer of what separates major sins from minor sins. Why? It's as if Allah wanted the scholars to differ upon it. Some will include more in the minor sins and more in the major sins, so you should be worried. Right? So, for example, one of the big debates is masturbation. Not to say something disgusting here, but it's debated. Is this a major sin or a minor sin? It's debated. right? Because the Quran forbids something in general they consider it a minor sin, right? If he forbids something in specific, it's a major sin. So, for example, the sexuality that, the sexual actions that the uh, Quran forbids is zina and luat. Homosexuality and, and, and adultery slash fornication is forbidden explicitly, mentioned. Then there's a general prohibition which is Surah Al-Ma'arij, which says, your wives and right-hand possessions and anything beyond that, then you've gone to excess. So therefore, everything else, which would include masturbation, which would include a doll, if someone had sex with a doll. Uh, I'm sorry to have to talk about this stuff, but people are weird these days. What can you do? Um, things like that. So that would fall under the general prohibition. So one of the breakdowns is that if the Qur'an specifies something, it's a major sin. If it's a general prohibition, it's a minor sin. Okay. Now, the sunnah, when they go to the sunnah, they also have a breakdown. If the Prophet ﷺ forbids something and mentions its punishment in specific, or he mentions it with severe language, it's a major sin. And if he mentions something with light language, just prohibition, 
then it's a minor sin and could even be just discouraged, depending on how it's worded. So that's how major and minor sins are broken down. Uh, make sure you want to support this podcast at patreon.com backslash Society. We really appreciate all of our patrons, and you could be a patron by going to patreon.com backslash Society. And we are also raising uh, our funds this, this week for the second meal. It's going to cost us a, a bunch of money to ensure that it's staffed. And if we don't have volunteers for the food, that the food is paid for. We have to buy the food. And the place has to be staffed with someone to set it up. Okay. So you can go to launchgood.com forward slash Safina Society. And the home, our new home of communication with you all is going to be the La Cocina 367 Instagram page. La Cocina 3, at La Cocina 367. Okay. Let's now take your questions. It says, Caitlin Johem. How to get out of this daily work grind that feels so spiritually draining. And it feels like our controllers, employers controls. Well, they do control you in a sense. If you want money from them, you're lucky if you have a good employer. Okay. But I'll tell you one thing that sometimes helps. I don't know if this can help you, but I think AirPods is one of the best inventions. I got them right here. Okay. And you could put AirPods, especially if you wear hijab, no one's ever going to know. You could put your AirPods in and you could listen to the thicker all day. You could listen to talks all day long, right? I love this invention. This was a gift someone got me. And on top of that, it has noise cancellation, which is like a scientific miracle, how they did this. Okay, I'm exaggerating a little bit here. But literally, if, if, if you put them on, the noise decibel decreases, I would probably venture to say 70%, which is really useful if you have a headache or you're in a noisy place. So I would stick, uh, stick your AirPods in, in your ear, one ear at a time, because it's actually not that good to have stuff in your ears all the time for health purposes. And, when, and what you do is you, um, you uh, listen to something beneficial, but don't listen to the Quran unless you can concentrate. You can do a non-brain requiring task and listen to Quran at the same time. Because you can focus on the Quran while cleaning a dish, for example. There's no brain is used when you're cleaning dishes. No brain power is used when you're driving. These things are on autopilot, right? So you can listen to the Quran if you're doing that. But if you're actually like reading something, thinking, then you cannot listen to the Quran. You can listen to dhikr, but not the Quran. And you can listen to talks and lectures, etc. Okay. Only one, one or two more questions. We started late, but we got to run. Non-Muslims, says Nuwaid ibn Muhammad. Non-Muslim family want to give me their estate. Will some a Muslim in their secular will? Yes, the scholars have, have deemed it. You, you can take it, not as inheritance, but as under the ruling that wealth is always better in the hands of a Muslim than a non-Muslim. Oh, that's discrimination, blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. It's because the Muslim will give it its haq. Wealth belongs to Allah, and Allah Ta'ala has conditions for wealth. He has commandments for wealth. Like what? Like zakah. And that zakah applies to all wealth, Muslim and non. 
But obviously the Muslim not believer is not going to discharge zakah. So the wealth is always better in the hand of the Muslim who will observe God's law regarding that wealth. It's as simple as that. Okay, so you can take it with the intention of that the, that the wealth is better in the hands of a Muslim than a non-Muslim. In the Hanafi method, are men allowed to wear a silver chain around their neck? Not that I know of. I think that it's, they're not allowed to have any jewelry except one ring, but you can ask a Hanafite. Enigma Barca is on. I guess that's Barcelona, Bar- Barca. Halima Wahid, traveling light. Sofna Begum, Albanian revert. How are you an Albanian revert? I thought Albanians are 100% Muslims. Am I wrong about that? I must have been wrong about that. Can you not give inheritance if a son or daughter is fasiq or ahli bid'ah? If it's a bid'ah mukaffira, you cannot give them inheritance. Okay. If it's a bid'ah mufassiqa, then yes, they, could, they would still inherit. If, if I'm not mistaken, we can double check that. But, but from what I do, they will inherit if they are just on an innovation. It's only if they become a full-on zindiq. Do we have to pray janazah to a member who apostated? Of course not. No, there's no janazah, nor is he buried as a Muslim. Go, wait, you apostated. You became an atheist. So have the atheist bury you. They're going to burn you, whatever they're going to do with you. Now, of course, you wouldn't want someone to be buried. And I think, I mean, burned, I think that's something that the Muslim can, he can um, intervene there because that's desecration of a human body. And bury him normally in a non-Islamic graveyard, non-Muslim graveyard. Okay. And we, you wouldn't have to do washing or anything like that. You just bury him the regular way people are buried. I heard giving charity removes the ghadab of Allah and protects us. It, it's, you can't imagine what charity does to people. It removes any punishments that we were going to receive. It comes up as a firewall and blocks that punishment. Our men are allowed to wear chains in the Madiki Methab. No, in our madhab, in the Madiki madhab, is very austere and dry on jewelry. You're allowed one silver ring maximum. And this is not even a silver ring. Someone asked, was this gold? Of course it's not gold. Do you think a Muslim is going to wear gold and do a, a live stream about Islam? No offense or anything. But it has a gold color, maybe, uh, or bronze color. But the maximum a Muslim man is allowed to wear is one silver ring, no other jewelry. Why? Because Malik made istidlal of the verse, about Abu Jahl. Right? Is this one who was raised wearing jewelry and now he argues and doesn't make any sense? Meaning, Malik said, Allah would not make fun of something halal. Uh, so it's haram. He's making fun of something. A boy raised up in jewelry. Okay, so it's Muharram, and so the uh, w- one of the wisdoms behind that are, is that it makes a person whimsical, it makes a man, renders him to be whimsical and excess in his vanity, and therefore it gets to his head, so he doesn't even make sense anymore. He's he's become a vain person. Also, it decreases the value of gold because if half the population cannot own gold jewelry then there's more gold to go around. 
and money needs to go around just like body in the blood in the body. That's why we're all about moving money, moving money, invest, buy, sell, give sadaqah, move the money, hoarding money, having tons of gold sitting in your house and slowing down your economy, hoarding your cash. It's like the blood not moving in the body. It makes the society sluggish. Economics is a big part of our religion. We want the money to move. That's why spending is better than hoarding. All right, folks, we have to stop here, unfortunately. Um, Ali's asking about believing in dreams. No, true dreams. If it's a true dream, you have to firstly make sure if it's a true dream or not. If it's a true dream, it's yaqeen. And it's interpreted properly. You believe in it with yaqeen. The timing is for Allah, and but it has to be interpreted properly. That's the hard part. Uh, but it is yaqeen. It is a source of yaqeen and is given from the Prophet ﷺ for us to believe that it is yaqeen. Uh, Imam Malik confirms that. He said it is a type of wahi from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, it is a serious matter that we should have firm belief in it. And then wait until Allah ta'ala brings it. Oh